Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Have you ever asked a question, um, and you knew you already what the answer was already, but you just asked the question to kind of get the answer that you wanted? The most simple example is probably, how are you? What, what do we expect people to say? Fine, good, because we, we just walk away after we ask it. We're not really expecting anything other than that. Or maybe it is a week until Easter, and we have three services coming up, and that means three kids' ministry services. So if, if your friendly neighborhood children's pastor asks you if you want to volunteer next Sunday, the answer is yes, there's someone with me. All right. Um, or maybe some of the men in this room may have gotten this from your wife, your girlfriend may have asked how she looks on a certain outfit today. The answer is always like the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Amazingly wonderful. Even a simple, like a perfect angel. Any of these answers, they will suffice. If you didn't answer that way, I'm sorry for you. But maybe it's a little bit more serious. Um, Maybe you have asked a question, um, hoping that the the answer would justify you, your choices, your life. Because in the book of Luke, there's this riveting conversation between Jesus and a religious expert. And this expert in religious law, he stands up to test Jesus. And he poses this question, and um, we find this in Luke. What should he do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus poses a question back to him. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So of course, this religious expert, he is an expert in religion after all. He knows, he quotes it back to Jesus, and he says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So of course Jesus affirms this answer, that is what the law says. But the religious expert wants to justify his actions. Maybe it's his lack of action. So he takes it a little bit further and he asks, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells this parable, he tells this story And to help us understand um, really the depth to this story, what we need to understand is a relationship between the um, the two nationalities in this story. We have Jewish people and we have Samaritan people. And at this time in history, Um, the Jewish people and Samaritan people did not get along. That's putting it lightly. They detested one another, they despised one another, they did not associate with one another. And Jesus is teaching this parable to Jewish people. So let's keep that in mind as we look at as we look at the story. So he tells of a Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this was a dangerous road. It was frequented by robbers and bandits. And this man was attacked. He was robbed, beaten, stripped of his clothes, and he was left half dead on the side of the road. But thankfully, by chance, a priest is coming. He was leaving Jerusalem Probably he had just finished serving at the temple. Surely this man knew the law. This man knew to love God with all of his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength, and to love his neighbor as himself. So as he's coming down, he sees the man lying there, but he turns and he walks across to the other side of the road. 
He went out of his way to avoid him. But thankfully, there's another character at play in the story. There's a second chance. A temple assistant, who also could be known as a Levite, he would know the law. He would know to love God with all of his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength, and to love his neighbor as himself. He was coming from Jerusalem. Also, quite possibly, he had just finished serving in the temple. He was an assistant after all. So this temple assistant's coming, and he looks at this man who is broken, who is beaten, who is lying on the ground, stripped of his belongings, his clothing, his dignity, and he looks him in the face, and he turns, and he crosses to the other side of the road. These two men had just left the temple. They had just left probably following the letter of the law and their duties, they were acutely aware of what was required of them. They looked at the need. In this instance, it was a human face. And they walked away. But there's a third man in our story. This version actually puts it as a despised Samaritan. Not just a Samaritan, but a despised Samaritan. He saw the man he actually felt compassion for him. He took pity. Now this is a strong word. I think sometimes when we think of pity, we think sin, right? We taught Manandu anyways. But in this case, this is actually a very strong word. This word implies a deep feeling of sympathy. He was moved in the inward parts. This is actually a verb, an action word. Pity here is translated into sacrificial action. When was the last time we looked at a need? And we were so deeply moved inwardly, so much so that it caused us to act outwardly in compassion and action. So, what does this despised Samaritan do for this Jewish man? Well, he went to him and he got down close. He soothed his wounds, he bandaged him up. He probably wasn't a doctor, probably wasn't an expert in his field, not sure if he even had first aid, but he most likely used what he had, his own clothing for bandages, his own wine for disinfectant, his own oil for soothing. He picked up this man who was lying on the ground. He placed him on his own donkey. He took care of him. He brought him to an inn. And when he left that inn, he had given the innkeeper money to make sure his needs are met. And if it went over that, he promised to pay the next time he went through. So Jesus finishes the story, and he asks the religious expert a question in return. He said, now, which of these Three, would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. To which Jesus replies, yes, now go and do the same. So in this case, Jesus focused his question, not on a Jewish victim, 
not on the man who was lying there. He focuses question on the subject of the story. The Samaritan man who made himself a neighbor, he reversed the question, and this really opens up the heart of this parable and Jesus' teaching on love. That love should not be limited by its object. Its extent and quality are in control of the subject. So love should not be limited by its object, but its extent and quality are in control of the subject. So what does this mean? That the one that I am loving, the one that I am serving, doesn't receive this love or this service based on who they are, what they have to offer me, or their own merit. The love that I show, the quality of love that I show, the extent of the love that I show, is actually in my control. It is an outflow of my heart, a response to the love, the grace, the mercy and forgiveness that I have received from Jesus. I love because Christ first loved me. Because Jesus went to the cross and he took the shame and the sin and the punishment that I deserved and he so freely offers me grace and love and forgiveness because of that love, because of his love, I am free to love others. I'm free to serve others, not on what I think of them, but because of what Christ has done for them. Love is indeed a verb. It is an action word. Love is demonstrated by action. And sometimes this love is costly. This may require my time, my resources, my money, my life, my day, the expectations that I had had for my day, my plan. You know what, it isn't always easy to love. <laughs> to truly love is often hard, it is often messy, and it requires sacrifice. And I know you may be sitting here and you're thinking, but you don't understand that I don't have any more time to give. I don't have any more money to give. I don't have anything else to give. It would be nice to have a little extra, a little extra time, a little extra love, but I just don't have it. And I get it. Life is busy. Everybody is busy. So, why do we serve? Well, for those of us who have our faith in Jesus, for those of us who have placed Christ at the center of our lives, and we have given him first priority, it is from this place that we order our lives. When Christ is at the center, we begin to view people as he does. We begin to see people as he does. We begin to love people as he does. I'm not saying I have this figured out. I don't stand up here this morning in judgment of anybody, how you spend your time, how it is that you serve. That's not what I'm saying. But what I can speak from is my own heart. And I know the constant shift that needs to happen in my life of taking me, myself, my priorities off the throne of my heart I'm placing Christ back on. I know that there's times I try to justify my actions or my lack of actions, and maybe I pose a similar question to God, as this religious expert did, expecting an answer to justify me. But Jesus, in his loving mercy, redirects my path. He redirects my priorities, and he reminds me. 
that because of what he has done, I have the honor, the privilege, the calling to love and to serve in such a way that others are pointed to Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Why do we serve? Because Jesus first loved us. So we know why we serve. We know Jesus loved us. We know he went to the cross for us. We know he's commanded us to do so. But how do we serve? There's a verse in the book of uh, Zechariah in the Old Testament and it says, Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, even a donkey's colt. As I said, today is one week until Easter Sunday, which makes today Palm Sunday, as we had just seen. But why is this so important? Why is it so important that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus um, came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and people threw down their cloaks and they threw down their garments and they threw down palm leaves and people waved palm branches and shouted, Hosanna, why is that important today? Well, just as our, many of our children are learning this morning, why Palm Sunday is important. It's because it teaches us that whatever happens, God keeps his promises. Because as right before Jesus had made this entry into Jerusalem, he had told his disciples, go ahead, go get a donkey. You're gonna find a donkey up there. You're gonna untie, if anyone asks you to tell them the Lord needs it, you're gonna bring it to me. To fulfill the, this prophecy in the Old Testament which said, tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, even a donkey's colt. God keeps his promises. He promised that he would come as a humble king. That's what our children are learning about this morning, that God keeps his promises. They're learning that Jesus is the king. But he is the king of kings, but he is a humble king. Because there was, there was this idea that the Messiah was coming, that the Savior was coming, and he was going um, to rule, and he was going to reign, and he was going to be powerful, and he was going to be mighty. And this is what everyone was expecting and waiting for. But Jesus turned this idea of this type of leader, this type of king, he turned this on its head. He turned it upside down because Jesus came to serve. Matthew, in Matthew we read, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that in this world, kings are tyrants and officials lord it over the people beneath them. But among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even I, the son of man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. And just as Pastor Crystal explained to us this, just last week, that Jesus turned this idea of service on its head. He turned it upside down. 
This is why, this is how we are called to serve others. Because Christ first loved us. We serve in humility because that is the example that Jesus gave us when he came. But you see, on the other side of our love, on the other side of our service, it is the soul. It is a child, it is a teenager, it is a student, a mother, a father, a grandparent. It is a life. And they so desperately need to know that there is a king who is so humble that he gave his life for them. That he gave his life for you, that he gave his life for me. There is a God who loves this world so much that he sent his son to take our place. That there is a God for whom nothing is impossible. There is a God who has the final word on their situation. There is a God who has a final word on their life. That word is forgiveness. That word is victory. That word is hope. We don't serve to fill schedules. We serve because there's a child. There's a child who doesn't have a father. There's a child who has been told that, you know what, you're just too much. Or maybe you're not enough. But this child needs to know that there's a heavenly father who loves them no matter what. There's a heavenly father who has a plan for them no matter what. We serve for him. We serve because there's a young person and they are desperately trying to navigate their life and they don't know which way to turn, but they need to know that they have hope. They have hope in Jesus. He's the anchor for their soul. We serve for her. We serve because there's someone, and all they can do is look at their past and the mistakes that they made, and they think they're defined by that. But they need to know that there is a God who loves them, who is so humble he gave his life for them. And they no longer have to be defined by what they had done, but they are defined by what Christ has done for them. We serve for them. We serve in humility. So who do we serve? We know we serve because he first served us, he first loved us. We know we serve in humility, that's the example he gave when he prayed into Jerusalem on a donkey in humility. That's not how a king enters the picture. Who do we serve? Jesus asked, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Is there someone that you've counted out? Have you looked at a need? Have we looked at a need? Have we looked at someone and have we decided to cross to the other side of the road, to walk away? Let's cross over here where it's safer, and it's more predictable, and it's more comfortable over here, because over there is a bit of a mess. And I, I don't really know what to do, so I'm gonna stay over here. Have we done that? I'll leave this to someone who has more time. I'll leave this to someone who has more talent, more gifting. Maybe someone will come behind me and deal with 
with that over there? Or do we see a need and do we move towards it? And do we get down in the muck, in the mess, in the marrow? Do we use what we have to make a bandage? Do we use what we have to soothe the wound? Do we use what we have to offer hope? Do we offer Jesus? I'll ask the worship team to return. Because we have a choice. You have a choice, I have a choice. I can't deny that there are needs in this world. I can't take out my phone and, and go through any, any news feed, any social media posts and not see that there are needs all around us. But I can choose to look away. Or I can choose to get into the trenches and to love and to serve so that they may know that they, my neighbor, may know that there's a God who so desperately loves them, so desperately loves us, that he doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants us to see us restored into a relationship with him. That we don't have to travel this world all alone, not knowing what way to go, but there is a humble king who can guide us, who we can follow. There is a humble king in who we can grow in. There is a humble king who has shown us how and who to serve, and his name is Jesus. So can we take a moment, can we take a moment and ask ourselves, who is my neighbor? Who do I need to move towards in love and in service? What need is it that I can meet? Because are we gonna be a people that sees a need and we turn and we walk away? Or are we gonna be a people and are we gonna be a church that sees a need and we get down and we meet this need? We look the need in the face and we are moved so deep inwardly. We are moved with compassion to reach out, to touch lives. Are we going to move towards opportunities to serve, to serve in our church, to serve in our city? Because if we are going to be for St. John's, we need to love our neighbor. We need to bring light to the darkness. We need to bring good news. We need to bring the gospel. Because God isn't finished with us yet. God is not finished with this city yet. So what is stopping us? Most people who I talk to, what is stopping me? Most people want to serve, they want to love. We know that there's a broken and hurting world. So what stops us? Is it fear? Is it fear that the darkness is just too dark? Is it fear that the world is just too broken? That if I choose to love and if I choose to serve others, what if that doesn't make a difference? What if I don't have an impact? I know, I've been there. Or is it insecurity? 
that you aren't gifted enough, that you aren't talented enough? What if you put yourself out there and you make a mistake? Or what if you put yourself out there and you get yourself into a situation that you really don't know how to deal with? I know, I've been there. Is it busyness? You do have a desire to reach people, but there's just, there's nothing, there's no margin in your life. It's just too busy. There's no spare moment. I know, I've been there. But here's the thing. You have something to offer others that only you have. You have a unique way to serve the world only, only that you can do. There's a loving God who has made you so fearfully and so wonderfully, and He has gifted you so specifically that He has a plan and a purpose for your life. This purpose is to be in relationship with Him and to love others in such a way that they are pointed to Jesus, to this great love. But there's an enemy out there. And he wants nothing more than to stop you in your tracks, to use fear, insecurity, distraction, to convince you that there's no point because there's no hope. No hope to pray, no hope to believe, no hope to serve. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering yourself, is there even any hope? Or do you use insecurity that you're not good enough, that you don't have it all together because if someone really knew you, they wouldn't want your love. use busyness to distract you away from the desires and the dreams that God has placed in your heart. But here's the thing. Jesus said he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against him. And friends, he is building his church. And he has chosen to work through us mere mortals with our fears and our insecurities and our distraction to point people to the Prince of Peace the savior of the world to Jesus. And the amazing part is that we don't do this in our own ability, in our own power. In 2 Timothy we read, God gave us his spirit and the spirit doesn't make us weak and fearful. Instead, the spirit gives us power and love. He helps us control ourselves. Because here's the thing, we're called to serve people, not to save people. That's his job. That is his battle, that is his fight, and he has already won it. Our job is to love, is to serve. Jesus saves. Jesus convicts. Jesus forgives. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.